Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. So grab your Bible, stand with me. I want to deal with the subject this morning. What is lacking? <laughs> what is lacking? Um, today, um, all I can tell you to do is buckle up. Because all I'm going to do is preach Jesus stuff today. And I didn't realize he was such a radical leader. Uh, I knew the Lord was taking us into discipleship. So I decided to go to the master disciple and uh, discipler and find out how he made disciples. So that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to take the words in red and we're going to let Jesus do as much preaching as we possibly can today to kick us off in our discipleship program together. But I'm excited at the fruit that this is going to produce in your life and in my life. These messages come from... Uh, on my face before God, crying out to God, asking Him, "What's where are we missing it? Have you ever read the, uh, the New Testament and looked at the New Testament church and wonder why we're not experiencing what the New Testament church experienced? Do you ever think like I do? You ever wonder where is the power? Where is the signs? Where is the wonders? Where is the miracles? Where are the souls being saved daily such as should be saved? Because it's all in your New Testament. So these messages uh, in this direction came from me crying out to God of what is lacking. What are we missing that we're not experiencing everything Jesus said we could have? So that's where we're going to start today, and if you'll stick with me over the next four weeks and the next 12 months, you're going to see uh, an amazing transformation in your life. Are you ready to go? Matthew chapter number 19, what is lacking? Matthew chapter number 19, verse number 16. It says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, What good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said unto him, Which? Jesus said, Well, you shall do no murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up, but what lack I yet? He said, Something is still missing. I'm not going to preach to everybody in this building this morning, but I'm going to preach to some people who's asking yourself, What's missing? Something ain't, something's missing. There's more to Christianity than showing up for church on Sunday morning. Is anybody with me today? What, 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 what's missing? I mean, he was very religious. He kept all the commandments that Jesus required. But in the midst of it all, he still asked the question, what is missing? What, we're missing it somewhere. What lack I yet? What am I still lacking to step into this New Testament power? And Jesus said, well, okay, if you want to go to the next level, He's, next scripture, please. Okay, if, if, if you will be perfect, 
If you want to go to maturity, I'm going to teach you how. Amen. Now, look at your neighbor right now and ask him before we go any further, do you want to go? <laughs> now tell him, you didn't answer me. <laughs> do you want to go? Okay, okay. Uh, now, if you want to stay there and be religious, you can. But Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, if you want to go to full maturity, if you want to go to completion, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. <laughs> Somebody just leaned over and said, I believe I'll wait right here. <laughs> go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were just exceedingly amazed, meaning astonished, fearful, if you will, say, my God then, who can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said, with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said unto him, well, look, Lord, now, you know, Peter, he was mouthy anyway. We've forsaken all and followed you. Now, what shall we have for our commitment? Jesus said unto them, I tell you this, I say unto you that you which have followed me in the, in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, you're going to sit with me upon 12 thrones, judging 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone that has forsaken houses, brothers, sisters, our father, our mother, our wife, our children, our land, for my name's sake, you're going to receive 100-fold. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Plus, you're going to inherit everlasting life. Now, I need to pray. I need you to pray right now that you're going to hold up under this sermon because it's going to get heavy. Are you ready? Father, you got to help us now. Oh, Holy Spirit, I need your help this morning to not step outside the boundaries of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Oh, that we could just say what Jesus says and give us the Spirit to say it in, oh Lord God, and prepare your con congregation, your people, your sheep, your children to take a journey like they've never known before. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Somebody shout amen. We're talking about disciples, and Jesus is talking to disciples here, and, and it's amazing to me uh, that this word disciple is so uh, predominant in your Bible. So my question in beginning today would be, if you're taking notes, what does a biblical disciple look like? My next question to, would be, am I a true disciple? Am I really a true disciple? The word disciple is used 296 times in the New Testament. Uh, and, and actually, it's used 296 times from Matthew to the book of Acts, and it's not used again in none of the epistles. And I believe the reason it's not used in the book of the epistles is because the word disciple comes from a Greek word, methetos, which means learner. It means pupil. 
The word disciple means one who is a learner or a pupil. And the disciple is mentioned 296 times from Matthew to the book of Acts and is not mentioned again in the, in, in the epistle simply because discipleship is a process that you should go through and grow out of and become apostolic. Are you following me? Amen. That you should not be a student pupil all of your life. There comes a time when you need to start exercising what you have learned. Are you following me? So, disciple meant more than a transfer of information. You got to catch this from the beginning. Disciple meant to adhere to the teachings and imitating the life and embracing the values of the teacher, then reproducing his teachings. I'm going to say that again. Disciple is more than a transfer of information. A true disciple means one who adheres to the teachings and is imitating the life and embracing the values of the teacher, then reproducing his teachings. You got to hear me this morning. The call to discipleship was and is one of the most radical calls to the believer because it requires a total abandonment, abandonment of one's own will. It's such a high calling to such a high standard of life that without God, it's not even possible. In Luke chapter number 14, Jesus begins to reveal the high cost of true discipleship. Luke 14 verse number 25 says, And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hates not his father and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. I was amazed at the teachings of Christ, uh, we're going to go a little further, uh, of how many times Jesus, how many reasons God gave them that they could not be his disciple. I thought, how contrary to the church of the 21st century when we kick our doors wide open and anybody is baptized, everybody's accepted, and we're just tickled to death if you come and be a part. And Jesus was constantly saying, if you don't do this, you cannot join my church. <laughs> if you can't do this, you can't even be my disciple. If you're not willing to, ready to sell out, don't even come and start following me. And verse 27 says, And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you intended to build a tower, sits not down first, counts the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Now, when Jesus said that the first requirement to being one of his disciples was to hate the people that are closest to you, it's actually a Jewish idiom that actually means as it relates to your love for him. He was actually saying that his teachings, his values would have to be placed before and above everybody and everything in our lives. He said, if you're not willing to put my will, my teachings, and my values above everybody and everything in your life, you cannot be my disciple. And not only did he say that his teachings and his will and his values had to be put before the people who were the closest to us, 
but that his will would have to be put before our own will. He said, if you're not able to do this, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus made it very clear that this was a standard of life that would demand so much commitment from you that you were going to need a cross handy every day of your life to deal with your own will and your emotions. I knew it was going to be quiet today. Jesus emphatically, unapologetically said, you need to count the cause because if you're not willing to forsake all, you cannot be my disciple. He said, it's a natural principle. Before you build something as great uh, in magnitude as a great tower, you always sit down and count the cost to make sure you're going to have enough to finish what you started. He said, when a king goes to war, he always sits down and considers the size of, the, of his army as it relates to his enemy's army to decide what it would take to meet the requirements that were demanded. Jesus said, you need a clear understanding of what will be required of you so you'll know whether you're going to be able to meet the demands of this discipleship or not. He said, because disciples cannot be produced in half measures. Religious folks can, and religious churches come in half measures, but you cannot produce true disciples in half measures. Matter of fact, Luke 9, 23, he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever, verse 24, for whosoever will save his life will lose it. And whoever will lose his life for my sake the same is going to save it. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, which means if any man will follow me or to go in the same direction I'm going, you're going to have to deny yourself. Which means to denounce, to renounce. It means to deprive of your own appetites and desires. And the reason you're going to have to denounce, renounce, and deprive yourself to follow me is because I'm not going in the same direction you're going. I'm not sure that we, the 21st century church, are, is even going in the same direction that Jesus is going. He said, you're following the path of self-preservation. You're saving your own life. You're following the path of self-preservation, the path that is conducive to your own will and your own desires. You're following the path of temporary convenience, selfish ambition. This is what Jesus meant when he said, he who saves his life is going to lose it. Because to save your life, it simply means to live a life preserved and protected from anything that goes against my will. To live a life, amen, that preserves me from going against my appetites and my own desires. Are y'all with me this morning, disciples? To lead a life that always makes me comfortable. If it feels good, do it. If I feel like coming to church, I come to church. If I feel like committed to the ministry, I'll commit to the ministry. If I don't feel like it, well, I'm going to do what is most comfortable for me. 
He said, if you save your life, you're going to lose it. Because he who leads this kind of lifestyle will ultimately lose his life because it's of a selfish nature. And we, by nature, when we live selfishly, it always leads to self-destruction. But, he said, he who loses his life, he that denies himself, he that denounces himself, he that renounces and deprives himself of his own selfish appetites and desires for Christ's sake, he said he's going to find life. In other words, he who puts Jesus first before our families, before our own will, is the one who's going to experience what true life is all about. So in reality, catch this, uh, 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 as demanding and as harsh as the teachings of Christ are, the, reali- the reality of it all is he is simply trying to teach us that by laying down the lesser life, we get to receive the greater life. Spiritual life, eternal life, a godly kind of life that's full of true joy and happiness for you and your whole family. Peter spoke up in Luke and said, we've left all and followed you. He said, I'm telling you right now, no man is going to leave his house, his parents, his brethren, his wife, his children for the kingdom's sake, who is not going to receive a hundredfold in this life and in that life to come. Jesus was teaching his disciples that he's not trying to take something from them. He's trying to give them something that, uh, he's trying to take something from them that is fragile, it's decaying, it's depleting, it's fleeing. And he said, I'm trying to give you something that is eternal. Amen. It's not corruptible. It cannot be taken from you and it cannot be stolen from you. Amen. My God, what a deal that we get out of this. He said, I'm going to give you something that's supernatural, eternal, and blessed by God. Okay, let's go a little further today. Let's join the disciples in following Jesus to see exactly what it looked like to be a true disciple. Luke chapter number 9, verse number 57. It says, and it came to pass that as they went in the way of a certain man, or went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord... I will follow you whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not nowhere to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me go first and bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So the first man is volunteering to be a disciple, and Jesus responds by saying, just make sure You're not coming expecting amenities. You can follow me, but when you come, make sure you're not coming expecting to have the comforts and advantageous benefits that this world produces because even the animals have more accommodations than I got. Don't I want to be a part of that church? How about you? Amen? 
Jesus said, the second man, Jesus invites to follow him. Uh, uh, this time Jesus is telling him, come follow me. And the man excels but says, first let me go bury my father. Which actually means, let me go continue to take care of my father until he dies. And then when he dies, I'm going to bury him. And then I'm going to come follow you. But Jesus said, let the dead. Let those who have no heart or passion for the kingdom of God take care of that situation until it's time for him to be buried and let them take care of that situation, but you go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was a radical leader, y'all. Can you believe the demands that Jesus put on discipleship? The third man said, I'll follow you. He said, I'm going to be your disciple. But first, let me go tell everybody bye. Let me go set all my affairs in order and make sure everybody is taken care of and understands what I'm doing. To which Jesus responds, no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for my kingdom. In other words, having divided interest is like a man that is plowing and he's continually looking back. The rows are going to be so crooked they can't even be planted properly. They can't be harvested properly. Therefore, he said, your divided interest has just disqualified you from being my disciple. Can I tell you the church at its best, at its best, is so divided in interest in the 21st century, and we got so much stuff going on in our lives. Like God, this place is quiet this morning. Amen. Uh, that we're trying to hold the uh, roll the old gospel. We're holding on to the old gospel plow in one sense, amen. But we're, our interest is so divided, amen, that our Christianity is wrapped around, our religiosity, if you will, is wrapped around when it is convenient for us, convenient for me, and, I, and, 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 and I'm even got my hands on the plow, and I am doing what I'm supposed to do, but my mind's somewhere else. I ain't preaching to everybody, but I'm preaching to me today. Uh, your hands are doing the work, but your mind is somewhere else. And Jesus said, you're not even fit for the kingdom of God. I don't know how this guy got over. No wonder they killed him. Preachers don't preach like this no more. Amen. We want to pull in anything and everything we can, and as a result, we've created a weak church with no power, no demonstration, no anointing, no authority, no dominion. I just come to say, what's lacking? Now it's, it's, beginning, it's, it's becoming clear, amen, that we think Jesus is happy with us simply because we got our hands on the plow, but we're looking at something else. Oh, help me this morning, Holy Spirit. Amen. We got so much other stuff going on. Are you saying we ain't supposed to do anything? Amen. That's not what I'm preaching. That's what Jesus preached, but I ain't going that far with it. Amen. I'm just saying, he said, amen, your priorities have got to be right. That's what I hear him saying. He said, if your priorities ain't even right, you're not even fit to be one of my disciples. Your hands may be doing the right stuff, amen, but, but, but your, your, your mind's on something else. Your prayer time's interrupted by your Facebook. Whoo. Somebody say, whoo. 
I'm telling you, amen, nobody knows but you, but there is a craze. There is an addiction to this Facebook. There is an addiction, amen. The Bible says we could use the world, but don't abuse it. He said it's using the world, but not abusing it, amen. When we spend hours, amen, on our Facebook trying to find out what the status is. And I'm, I don't hate on hate book, uh, uh, Facebook too much because it, it's a, it, it can be a good thing. But my God, it's robbing you of relationships, amen, in your own home. Can I just be a pastor today? Amen. You're totally disconnected from your whole family because you go into your own little world. Nobody else exists. You might as well left the house and went 5,000 miles away. Amen. Because now you have pulled your phone out and went to another world and another realm. You might well say amen. Somebody don't do Facebook. Shout amen. Amen. Uh, are you listening to me? Amen. It's robbing us of our prayer time. And then we, we don't have time to pray. And we don't have time to study the word. What if we took a, uh, what if we just, just timed how much time we spend on this stuff got our hand to the plow one hand anyway phones in the other oh I know my wife's gonna kill me after church but I'm telling the truth it's an addiction that's gone too far and it's robbing you amen now if if, if you keep your spirit fit amen and, and be a disciple of Jesus Christ and put this stuff in its place it's not that it's a bad thing we're just abusing what we ought to be using I knew this wasn't going to be popular Jesus said, you ain't fit to be my disciple. You're too divided in your interest. You can't plow a row while looking back. Amen. You're going to plow up somebody's life. You're going to steer them in the wrong direction. Oh, somebody ought to help me right there. Your interests are too divided. Amen. He said, you better get a cross. Amen. Uh, that's what we ought to be carrying, flipping through is that cross every day of our life. Amen. To crucify our own will and our own passions and our own desire. Can somebody just help me a little bit today and agree with me that we have wrapped Jesus around our lives instead of our lives wrapped around Jesus. Can I say amen that we have become our own son and everything revolves around us instead of everything revolving around Jesus. Can I tell you Jesus preached a message where he don't care if you feel like it or not. It doesn't matter if you want to or not. It doesn't matter. Everything is scheduled around Christ. And he said, when I become first, I'll multiply things. Amen. You ain't got no. He said, he said, you ain't got no time because you won't give me no time. He said, if you give me time, I'll multiply your time. Amen. Huh? Amen. Oh, I don't want to lose my family. I got to spend time with my family and neglect God. Can I tell you, put God first and he'll salvage your family. He'll salvage your kids. Oh, does anybody listen to me? He's, that's what he's trying to say. He said, I ain't trying to take anything from you. I'm trying to get you to give up your little weak, selfish, miserable life to embrace a life that is supernatural by nature. He said, you're missing it. You're so selfish. Y'all ain't got to receive that. Just throw it back at me because I'm just preaching to me. 
He's so selfish and self-centered and ain't got time for the thing, amen, that's really real and the thing that's going to produce in your life. He said, he said, you're not even fit for the kingdom of heaven. Amen. We're we're like this rich young ruler, he said, that came to him and said, what can I have to do uh, to have eternal life? He said, keep the commandments. Do this, do that, do that. What happened to that message that don't require us to do anything anymore? Jesus didn't apologize when he said, keep the commandments. If this goes out on Facebook, people will be texting saying, Jesus done away with the law. There ain't no commandments anymore. Well, Jesus is the one who said it. Keep the commandments. Don't kill. Honor your mom and daddy in them. Quit your lying and you're stealing. He said, all this doing leads to eternal life. He said, but that's in the physical. And the the old boy said, you know what? I ain't got a problem showing up to church on Sunday morning. I ain't got a problem doing my little prayer time. I ain't got a a problem doing my little devotion. (laughs) Thank God for devotional books or some of us. We'd we'd just be. (laughs) I know it's real. It's just real, y'all. Amen. I'm doing all that. I'm doing all that. But there's still something missing in me. I'm still not walking in the power. I'm still not walking in dominion. There's something lacking in me. And Jesus said, I'll tell you what's lacking. Okay, now that you're ready to go to the next level. Amen. He said, you got divided interest. You got stuff. Or no, what he really told him was, stuff's got you instead of you got your stuff. Jesus don't want you to get rid of all your stuff. I don't guess. He might. He said it here. I don't know. I ain't going to try to think for him too much this morning. Amen. Uh, are you listening to me? But Jesus don't want you to be broke, busted, and disgusted. Amen. It ain't that he don't want you to have stuff. He just don't want your stuff to have you. <laughs> Trying to plow. Where's my stuff? Amen. I got to keep up with my stuff. And amen. I got to make sure. (laughs) Some of you got mad last week because I talked about you coaching teams and all that. Ain't nothing wrong with all that. Ain't nothing wrong. We need to be out there infiltrating our community. But not at the risk of of neglecting the only thing with eternal value. If some of you would get as passionate... Jermaine, are you the only coach left in this room right now? If we we would get as passionate about our kids knowing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as we are them making a touchdown, amen. And I know your kids are just super athletes, but probably, amen, ain't none of them going to the pros. I may be wrong. We got a little football player right back here now. Oh, man, man, he's something... But my point is, Jesus is saying, come on now, are y'all going to go with me? I'm headed somewhere. He said, you got divided interest. You do the religious thing, amen, but your mind and your eyes are on other things, and they're clouding out the main thing in your life. And he, and he flat out said, you ain't even fit to be one of my disciples. I said, my Lord, what a preacher. God. Our stuff has bit us. Our stuff has got us. Amen. And we're so focused on our stuff that we cannot focus on our Christ. 
So here we have, amen, he was having a problem. His problem was putting God first. His stuff was controlling him instead of him controlling his stuff. Every Sunday morning, people gather up in buildings, amen, to hear the gospel preached. And the the spiritual seed of heaven is sowed into your spirit. The only thing that has any eternal value whatsoever is sowed into our spirit. And then he said, we'll walk right out that building and the cares of this life will choke out everything you just poured into me. Everything I got to do after church, everything I'm going to do tomorrow, everything I'm going to do here, there, and yonder, he said, it's just choking out the only thing that can bring what you're really looking for into your life. So it just chokes it, chokes it all out. So here the disciples are, they're following Jesus, and he's saying this kind of stuff. I don't know how they stayed with him. He said... He's saying this kind of stuff. So they're sitting here and they're watching him talk to all these different scenarios. Amen. And, and, and until Peter stepped back and said, my God, who can be saved? Who can be a disciple? Who can be a Christian? I submit to you that everything that calls itself a Christian is not a Christian. To the point that they said, my God, well, who can do it? Jesus spoke up and said, I'll tell you right now, unapologetically, no man can do it. But with God is the only way you're going to be the Christian that I've called you to be. Woo! You cannot even be a disciple without the grace of an almighty God to enable you to live this lifestyle. You can't make up your mind to follow Jesus because he ain't going the direction you're going in. It takes grace. It takes a grace to be able to live this life. So, 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 disciples following him said, My God, he's going to run everybody off. We ain't going to build no church like this. And then Jesus began to preach in John chapter number six. Y'all remember that sermon? Jesus said, I am the bread of life that comes down out of heaven. And unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. I can hear Peter now. That done it. That just blew it. Life church ain't going to grow with them kind of preaching. Eat your flesh and drink your blood. Amen. Matter of fact, it says many of the disciples when they heard him preaching this said, this is a hard saying. Who can stand this stuff? And, 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 Jesus, and the, uh, verse 61 says, when Jesus knew it in himself that his disciples were murmuring, amen, things are getting bad while you're preaching and they're murmuring. I think I see some of that going on out there. He's preaching, they're murmuring, and Jesus just turns and looks at them and says, does this offend y'all too? God, what a radical leader. What a radical leader. What he was saying is, you must eat my flesh and you're going to have to drink my blood or you ain't got no life in you. In other words, I must become your strength. I must become your sustenance. I must become your source. I must become your nourishment. Amen. My blood, my life, my DNA is going to have to run through your veins or you cannot be my disciple. Woo! He said, your fathers, in this same sermon, he said, your fathers ate manna that came down out of heaven and they're dead. But whoever eats this manna is going to live forever and ever and ever. Oh my goodness, what a radical gospel Jesus is preaching. He's literally telling these people right here. 
He's challenging the only standard of holiness they have ever known. And that was their spiritual fathers. He's challenging the only level of holiness that they've ever known. Amen. It was the righteousness established by their father. It was a level of discipleship they had never heard before. Jesus is just challenging the standards set by their forefathers. Matter of fact, he said, I'm going to say unto you, it's in Matthew 5, 20, for you that are taking notes. Matthew 5 and 20, he said, he said, I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you ain't even going to heaven. They're sitting there saying, are you kidding me? We're looking at these guys like they're all up there, and they're all holy, and they're all righteous, and they got the ephods, and they, they got all this going on. They are our, our spiritual standard for holiness. And now here comes this man named Jesus, and he's preaching, except your righteousness is greater than theirs, you ain't even going to make it. I wonder, I just wonder, amen, I know I ain't talking to anybody in this building, but I wonder how many is going to get there and stand before God and say, you, he, and God say, you didn't make it. You didn't make it. What do you mean I didn't make it? I keep the commandments. I went to church on Sunday. What do you mean I didn't make it? Jesus said, if your righteousness is, it don't exceed these you think is so holy, he said, you're not even going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, I have come to raise the standard of discipleship. I don't know how y'all think when I read the word and when I pray, but I, you ever ask yourself questions? You ever ask yourself, what makes you think you're going to make it? Do you? Or you just take it for granted, you're going to make it. What makes you think you're qualified to enter in? Boy, it is quiet in this place. <laughs> Jesus said, if you don't raise the bar, you ain't going to get in. Then he starts telling them. Now remember, I'm not really preaching at y'all. I'm just preaching Jesus' stuff. I just got his notes today. So let's, let's look at his notes in Matthew 5, 21. He said, he said, matter of fact, you have heard the old timers say, and this is what you're basing your righteousness on, what they said. He said, you have heard, you shall not kill, and, and, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Huh? When's the last time you got mad at your brother? Let me try this out. When's the last time you got mad at your sister? Amen. He said, you're sitting back and say, well, I hate them, but I didn't kill them. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, amen, if you are angry without a cause, you're in danger of judgment. And he said, let's take it a little further. Who shall ever say to his brother Raka, which means empty-headed? You better watch how you're talking about your brother. He didn't stop there. Who can follow such a man? That's what I want to know. Who can follow such a teacher? 
that would say to his brother, Rockus shall be in danger of the council, meaning you're in danger. You need to be brought before a council, amen, because you don't know how to talk, obviously, and you calling somebody empty-headed and ignorant shall be in danger of council, amen. But whosoever say you fool, he said, you going to hell. Well, this is too much, y'all. Now, wait a minute. We were okay with as long as I didn't kill the joker, I was going to make it. <laughs> but now I can't call him a blockhead. I can't call him an idiot. I can't. Y'all still want to be a disciple? I, we, just, we just try to figure out what a disciple looks like, y'all. He said, if you call him a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. Amen. You may not have shot him. You may not pull the trigger. But you are so close them to pummeling off in hell. And why is that the case? It's because if you're so far from me to talk so negative about someone I love, your Christianity is in question. Something ain't right. Something's missing. Something's missing. Amen. Some of y'all getting sleepy. Reach over and shake your neighbor and tell them something's missing. Something's missing. Something's missing. <laughs> oh, let's go a little further. Look at verse number 27. We're just reading Jesus' sermon this morning. You have heard that they said of the old time, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has a committed adultery with her already in his heart. Amen. You think you're doing good because you're wearing See, Jesus is trying to take this from a physical thing to a heart thing. Amen. And men sitting in church lusting after women, your salvation is questionable. If not questionable, it's in danger and standing on the verge of slipping off a little bit too far. Amen. He said, you heard. Amen. He said, don't pride yourself because you live with your wife and ain't run around on those women when in your mind. Can I just preach this morning? Can I just be a pastor this morning? In your mind, he said, I tell you, you already on your way to hell. Why? Because you've done committed the act in your mind. My God, what a call to discipleship. Something's missing here, and we want to know where. Why ain't they flooding our churches? Why ain't they being healed? Why ain't they being delivered? Why we're not seeing the manifestation of the glory of God? Well, it's clear to me now. How are y'all, church? Oh, man, let's, let's just go a little further. Jesus is really anointed here. If you right, I offend you. Now listen, you can find any commentator in the world and every commentator scratching his head trying to figure out a way to spiritualize me plucking my eyeballs out. But you know what? Jesus didn't back up. He never stuttered or stumbled. He just throwed it out there. Amen. If you have a problem with your eyes, pluck them out. If you got it, uh, for, 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 uh, and cast it from you. For it is probable for you that one of thy members should perish and not your whole body should be cast into hell. What's the next scripture? If your right hand offends you. Huh? 
Some of y'all going to come after me now. Pastor, he, he, was, he was speaking spiritually. Well, you may be right. I'm just telling you what he said. That if something you're doing, amen, are you listening to me, is contrary to the will of God, he said, you better cut it off. You better cut it off because it would be better for you to lose it than you to go to hell with it. Some things, God help me this morning, some of us need to be cutting some stuff off. Oh, I just got to have it. I can't quit this. I can't do without this. Oh, yeah? Well, you're going to spend an eternity in hell with that thing. My God, help me this morning. I understand we don't preach like this no more, but I'm only preaching to disciples. Can't get rid of this thing. Right hand, if any, you cut it off. Oh, here's one that's going to get me in bad trouble. Matthew 5, 31. He's still preaching in the same chapter. Uh, uh, and, and it has been said, Whosoever put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say, whoever puts his wife away except for fornication is causing her to commit adultery. And whoever shall marry her that, uh, that is divorced committeth adultery. This is one we run from right here. He said, don't come here with all this just because you can't get along with your husband you can't get along with your wife so you just write out a bill of divorcement Moses said go ahead and do it it'll be all right God will understand Jesus said no I got a problem with that I got a problem with that Jesus said the only reason you can divorce is if you caught her in adultery or him is committing adultery with somebody else then you can move on if not, you're going to have to get over your little selfish self, and there's going to have to be reconciliation if both of you are born again. I understand there's scenarios of one being lost, and the Bible talks about that, but Jesus is preaching to the church. Y'all don't look at me like that. I didn't write this stuff. Y'all scared me. Look at verse 43. You have heard that it's been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Amen. My God, there's, there's attitudes in the church that are worse than attitudes in the world out there. Amen. It's one thing to get... He said, I tell you, love them. I don't care what they do. You better keep your mouth shut. That's what Jesus said. And he said, you better love them and you better pray for them. Amen. Is this the scripture? Is this Jesus? Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. In other words, that don't mean avoid. That means shine Jesus into their lives. Amen. A lot of salvations in this building is questionable because this is foreign to us. Questionable, Or maybe we like they said that we're standing in danger of hellfire. Amen. That we're so close to falling off of into because we are so far from what true discipleship is according to Jesus Christ. Mm. And here it is. Brought you all this way for this scripture right here. Matthew 5, 45. He just preached that whole sermon and said... That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. The question is, is who's your daddy? 
He said, if you live on this level, you become the sons of your Father which is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and on the just and the unjust. Here is the fruit or the results of the level of this type of discipleship that you may become the sons of God. Discipleship is the difference between religion and sonship. This this level of discipleship produces sons and daughters of God. And your Bible says that the whole earth is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. They're groaning for disciples to commit themselves to Christ and become true disciples of Christ because the whole goal of discipleship is to create the nature of God in you. And when the nature of God is created in the body of Christ, they start manifesting the power and the glory of God. God, I got to quit, but let me show you an Old Testament principle of what I'm talking about. There was no discipleship in the Old Testament as we know it. But they were spiritual sons of the prophets. Remember them? Your Bible talks about sons of the prophets. And they followed their, they were disciples of their leader. And the Bible says Elijah was, uh, or Elisha was a disciple, if you will, of Elijah. He followed him. He followed him, and he learned from him, and he was committed to him, and he stayed with him and stayed with him up until he was about to leave. And Elijah looked at him and said, Elisha, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, that I may have a double portion of what you got. He said, if you see me when I go up, you're going to get what you want. Your Bible says the chariot of fire came, and when he picked up Elijah, God picked up Elijah, and he's headed through the air. Elisha's hollered, Father, Father, and the chariots of Israel thereof. And when he did, the mantle fell from the father to the son. And the son picked up the mantle, and he ran back to the same river that Elijah had just split with his mantle. And walked across on dry ground. He took the mantle, ran to the river, smote the river, Elisha did, and the river spoke, uh, uh, split. And 50 sons of prophets says, the spirit of the father has been transferred to the spirit of the son. This is what discipleship leads to. It leads to us becoming sure enough Sons and daughters of God, that we start, that we carry on the family business of demonstrating the nature and the power of our God. Are you following me? Matter of fact, I want to stretch you with one more scripture and I'm done. Acts 11 26. And when they had found him, talking about Paul, and brought him to Antioch. Antioch. It came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught the people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. We see a transferring from disciples to Christians. You cannot be a Christ-like Christian 
without discipleship. It's designed to produce the nature of Christ in you. There are a lot of people sitting in churches that still cannot carry the title of Christian. Because Christian is one who produces the life of Christ, who acts like Christ, sounds like Christ, and performs like Christ. Are y'all with me this morning? Because we've never allowed the process of discipleship to work in our lives. We've joined some church and think a little Sunday morning visit is going to get me into the pearly gates of heaven. And I'm going to spend an eternity with God. When if you will preach and read every message Jesus preached, it's questionable if you're even going to make it or not. With our little Sunday morning escapade of church. With no discipleship whatsoever. But he said it takes discipleship to get you to be a true Christian. Don't it make sense now why everybody's calling themselves a Christian and they're so far from being born again, it's unreal. Are y'all with me this morning? They started calling them Christians because they were doing what Jesus was doing. Healing the sick. Open the blinded eyes. The cripple was walking. And the multitudes was being born again. I don't mean to take this too far. But it makes me wonder, are we truly still a Christian church? Or are we just a religious bunch of folks who's going through the motions patting each other on the back and hoping when that trumpet sounds we all make it in stand with me all over the building I want to close out this message with the questions I asked in the beginning what does a true disciple look like the second question was, am I really a disciple? Because if I'm not a disciple, I can never be a Christian. Oh, but you don't understand. I done said the prayer and been baptized and I'm part of your church. This church ain't going to get you to heaven. <laughs> I'm glad you're a part of the church, but the church ain't going to get us there. Somebody got on me one time for said you shouldn't make people question their faith. When in reality, it's the most important thing you will ever do is examine your faith. Examine yourself, the Bible says, and prove yourself to see if you're really even in the faith. Maybe... Maybe you're in your faith and not his faith. So today, I unapologetically challenge 
this entire church right now to challenge your faith. Are you really a believer or are you religious? Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.